Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. I want to thank our supporting partners who make this podcast possible, and this month that's Shimano and We Are One Composites. Shimano have recently launched their brand new GR9 shoes, which feature their very own in-house developed Ultred sole. We're going to be meeting some of the team behind the shoes in this week's episode, so I won't say too much more about them here. I've been riding them though for the last few weeks and I've been really impressed with what they've achieved. If you like the sound of them, then you can check them out at your local Shimano dealer or over at mtb.shimano.com. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I love We Are One Wheels. I've been riding them for nearly four years and in that time, they've not even needed to be shown a spoke key and they're still perfectly true. The ride quality is great, somehow finding a balance between tracking and going where you point them without being so stiff that they ping you off every little obstacle on the trail. I'm running a mullet setup with a slightly lighter Faction 29er up front and a tougher Union 275 out back. The finish is immaculate both inside and out and you just know that We Are One care about making the best rims on the planet. We Are One don't like to stand still and they now also make handlebars and they last year released their very own bike, The Arrival. I've not had the chance to ride them yet but from what I know about We Are One and from the reviews I've read they've smashed it out of the park there too. As a downtime listener, you can get 15% off all rim-only products from We Are One during the month of March. All you need to do is to use the code WEARRIMS2022. That's WEARRIMS, all one word, all lowercase, followed by the number 2022 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. If you want to support what I'm doing, you can do that by grabbing yourself some downtime merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, shorts and joggers. It's all organic, made with a supply chain using renewable energy, printed to order and shipped using no single-use plastics. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes over on downtimepodcast.com. The last thing you want to do is go and miss an episode of the show, so make sure you're following us wherever it is you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. If you can't find the button, then downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe has got links to all the major podcast platforms to help you get sorted. Also, give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook where we're at Downtime Podcast. That way you'll be able to keep up to date with what we're up to and never miss a thing. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I've been out here in Winrock for the Tennessee National and got to see the damage to the pits from the snow and the windstorm firsthand. It's pretty sad and a lot of privateers and families have lost pit setups, but some of the top pros have pulled together a raffle to try and make some money to help out. If you'd like to be in with a chance of winning a jersey from riders like Nico, Aaron Gwynn, Dakota Norton and plenty more, you can head over to AaronGwynnMerch.com and buy an entry for just $10. Alright, today I'm joined by Shimano brand manager Jesse Gascon and one of their elite test team, Adam Craig. We sat down to find out more about what goes into producing a flat pedal shoe for the gravity market. We chat about how the way we ride modern bikes impacts what we need from a shoe, hear about the design of the rubber compound and the sole itself, and what they felt was key to making a great product. Adam takes us behind the scenes of the prototyping and testing process to find out what really happens before the shoes are ready to go on sale. So, without further ado, here's Jesse and Adam. All right, Jesse Gascon, Adam Craig, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. Can you um, just give us a little brief overview of uh, of what it is you do? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Jesse Gascon, and I'm based actually in uh, North America here in Southern California, out of our um, Shimano North American Sales Office. And um, what I do is um, my my official term is product manager. Um, but basically what it does is um, I try to capture um, market trends, uh, market, uh, market analysis, market sales, um, and 
convey that into some sort of actionable terminology for our R&D team, for our planning team, um, to develop the next great products. And most specifically, um, in the last 10 years, I've been focusing on what we consider our soft goods category, which is footwear, uh, some apparel, and um, on the hard goods side, it would be pedals uh, because of the connection with, of course, the shoes. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that's that's what I do. Um, I work um, basically directly with um, the planning team and the R&D team um, with some, uh, of course, involvement on the factory side, too, because we do have um, two footwear factories that we deal with. So, okay, good stuff. Uh, and Adam, yeah. what about you? How do you fit into the, the Shimano puzzle? um yeah i'm fortunate to have had shimano sponsorship and product support throughout my racing career you know starting in the in the early aughts um and since stepping away from racing in 2017 have just stayed on with shimano as you know i always enjoyed working with jesse and also some of the hard goods product managers um on development and testing projects through the racing (coughs) sphere and now that I'm just a normal mountain biker, I've got some more time for testing. So it's been fun continuing to help out and develop some of these products and help continue this uh, Shimano pursuit of quality. Awesome stuff. Well, yeah, Jesse, give us a little brief history on Shimano shoes uh, over the last few years, because a good chunk of it, I guess it's fair to say, has been focused around SPDs, which kind of makes sense, right? It's, it's a Shimano invention, yeah, hence the name. That's correct. In 1987, we um, we partnered with a brand from France called Look. Uh, some of you may have heard, um, and we co-developed a pedal system. Uh, the next year, 1988, we uh, developed our first road shoe and our first cycling shoe. Um, so since 1988 until the present, we've been in the footwear market. Uh, and of course, uh, in 1990, we launched um, SPD. Uh, so SPD is basically has become the standard of the off-road uh, pedal market. Uh, uh, as the cycling styles have progressed and, and uh, have splintered, um, our product line has expanded, uh, essentially following um, the way people ride. And um, Adam and uh, several of his uh, other members, similar to what Adam does, um, are basically instruments that we use to kind of validate our technologies, our designs, and make sure that there is some value there from a writer's perspective. Um, maybe 30 years ago, we used to always present our product in a way uh, that was very objective. What I mean is uh, we, the, the planning and the R&D team would always say, oh, well, it's 10% lighter. It's, uh, you know, 20 grams, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, stronger here and, uh, right, uh, very objective terminology. Um, pretty soon we found out that, that, you know, that had a limit, right, and how, how light we could make, how strong we could make. And ultimately, the way people rode ch- changed the dynamics dramatically. And that's happening more, even more uh, at a rapid pace on the mountain bike side. As you notice, the way people are splintered off in the types of riding and also the bikes, the, you know, the technology. Oh my God. Talk about scary, man. 
you know, <laughs> for an old guy like me, I mean, you let go of those brakes and it's pretty freaking scary, you know, <laughs> but those bikes are just so great. Um, and, uh, I, I have to adapt to the way these new bikes ride and the way, um, the way, uh, one way to adapt in that is to make product, right. Uh, to understand how people are positioned on the bike. Right. Uh, uh, and, um, ultimately that they want it, you know, it leads to some sort of bike control, right? That's uh-huh. a big, big word internally in Shimano right now, uh, as an added value, right? Not necessarily yeah. going lighter weight. So those, those are some high level concept, conceptual terms that we're using inside, um, that ultimately, like I said, deliver the, the new value, right? Uh, that we're trying to achieve rather than, like I keep mentioning, lighter weight or, 10% yeah. out for, you know, that type of mindset. Uh-huh. That and only works, can... that only works with weight weenies, you know? And, uh, as yeah. you know, right? A mountain bike is a mountain bike. It's only, it's not going to get much lighter than so much. For sure. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Things have, things have changed. And you've had mm-hmm. some gravity, gravity oriented, uh, flat pedal shoes available for a while now, but those oh, absolutely. have mm-hmm. generally had sole material that you've, you've licensed in from other brands. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So our first flat sole shoe was probably 20 years ago. Uh-huh. It was a long, long time ago, 20, 22 years ago. Um, and what really changed the dynamics of a flat sole shoe um, was really the pedal profile designs, uh, right? The, the, the wider contact points, the pin placements, the, 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 the length of the pins, right? Um, also, the way people were positioning the foot on the pedal, right? When they're descending, specifically when they're descending, right? How they're applying force on that pedal. That changed everything in, in regards to trying to develop a new rubber compound uh, to achieve that, right? To make sure that the foot stayed stable, uh, it allowed grip but also allowed some sort of slight shift in movement to allow some freedom for some riders, right? Yeah. Because uh, obviously nobody pedals the same, right? Um, it's, uh, biomechanically, we're all unique and a little different. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we developed our own internal rubber. Um, and then once we realized when the competition came to town, right, um, that numerical brand that we all know of, um, that, that was a big game changer. And that's where we, um, because our product focus is so broad, we have almost 50 different styles of shoes. Uh-huh. Um, and we only have a handful of gravity specific flat sole shoes. Um, we can't provide that narrow of a focus in a, a uh, kind of a narrow, somewhat narrow uh, category. Yeah. At least this was 10 years ago, right? So we decided to partner. We decided to partner with Vibram first, right? Um, also known as Vibram, right? Depends on what your accent is. Um, but they're, they're, um, an Italian outsole maker known in the hiking industry. Um, and we partnered with them for quite a few years. Um, and, um, after that partnership ended, um, we, we chose, uh, Michelin. Michelin came to us with a different proposition. Uh, um, a different type of rubber compound 
um, the ability to have input and design in the um, on the pattern itself. Um, we had some influence, but mainly they were driving it. Um, and the grip was actually pretty good. Um, you know, one of our objectives with these partners is to obviously learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> learn from them and, um, you know, come back and make our own products. Um, because we do have the capabilities. Um, we just really needed to understand what the benchmarks were, what the priorities were, right? Um, and I think that's the key, right? Benchmarking the competition, um, and then, uh, have conversations with Adam, um, and figure out, hey, what is the priority, right? Not just Adam, but different styles of writers, right? Um, right. Is it grip? Is it, uh, is a pattern, right? Is it butt shedding? Is it grip off the bike when you're hiking? Right. All those variables we have to take in, into account. Um, on top of the biggest challenge was to, which was to develop this sticky but durable rubber compound. And yeah. that's the biggest challenge. Right? Um, yeah. Because um, uh, most people don't realize, but uh, rubber in, in, in its non-static mode is basically a soup, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a soup of different materials and you got to cook it. You got to boil it at a certain temperature. You have to make sure that um, there's no contaminants in the air that can absorb some, right? Uh, uh, unwanted um, uh, components in, in the soup. Um, and you got to make sure the ingredients are right on the spot. Uh, and then you got to make sure every batch is consistent. <laughs> so those are big, big challenges for a component company. Yeah. A bike parts company, uh, which is not our core, our core competency, right? Uh, but it is a very important part of our business because we've invested in it and we are pretty dominant on the overall market of footwear, right? And uh, so we have the capabilities now. Um, it took us a long time. Um, the other big factor, too, is we have a very experienced uh, R&D team. Um, cohesively, we've been together for almost 15 years now, uh, planning, R&D, uh, and then, of course, uh, myself, right, the, the market specialist, the, the product manager in the marketplace. So collectively, gosh, we must have over 100, almost 120 years, right? 150 years of experience in this very small collective R&D team that we have. Uh, uh -huh. And uh, that's, that's very valuable. Right, and that that uh, ultimately led us to develop this. Uh, give us the confidence to develop this. Right? Yeah. So, what um, what were the kind of key things you set out to achieve then with the the new GR nine shoe and the the old tread? So, what were the yeah so the, the main things you wanted to deliver? Yeah, the priority was always on the stickiness, right? uh, the grip on the pedal, um, and we have to balance that with um, uh, with maybe too much grip, um, not enough grip. And most importantly, uh, durability. You don't want, especially with the new class of super aggressive uh, uh, and multi-quantity uh, uh, pins, right, on these pedals that are out there in the market. I mean, some, some pedals have up to 13 pins. Some pins are five, six millimeters tall. <laughs> so, uh, and, of course, you got riders that are super aggressive on their bikes, right? So after a few runs, um, you'll experience what Adam experienced with several of our, uh, 
prototypes, yeah. Um, where you know, after the first two rides, you know, you, you had a big, you know, a big divot in the, you know, right where he was applying that force, right, right where that pin was making super aggressive contact. So that was the biggest challenge, and and that was a, the um, really our our objective was to just find a balance between grip and durability, uh-huh. finding that sweet spot. Right, Adam, yeah. Do you have anything else to share? Yeah, I mean that's that's the rub with flat shoes, right? Is the really finding the grip and the feel of the sole um, that lets the you know riders choose flat pedals for a variety of reasons. But a big one is just it really improves your sensation of the connection with your bike. <clears throat> However, not actually mechanically connecting you to the bike. Um, there's there's a lot of performance and value in there. So yeah, we had a lot of really interesting versions of this ultra development, um, which is great that Shimano has been able to take on rather than working with a vendor to be able to control that a bit more. Um, yeah. And we definitely had some really soft ones that <laughs> immediately went away and worked awesome, but also like we're almost had, had too much feel. Um, so yeah, the, just the overall, you know, midsole construction as well as the outsole was an interesting balancing act. And yeah, this was a, was a long project that had a lot of resources behind it. So the, one of the things, uh, or one of the components that, um, for the next generation, um, that were already in development, um, that's very critical that we also need to address is the sole stiffness. Uh-huh. That's something we really didn't get too deep into it with um, the development with Adam, but that's going to be your new challenge, Adam. So you can figure out, uh, you know, what, what riders really want, right. With that connection. Right. Uh, and, uh, what I mean by soul rigidity, uh, I really mean torsional rigidity, right? this balance of making sure that the soul is not just, uh, rigid enough when you're pedaling, but torsionally enough to give, Right, uh, when you're descending to relieve stress from muscles and so on, right? Uh, most of these descents, as you know, right, can be up to an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> so um, you need you need to have a balance of pedaling, rigidity, and and descending flexibility or torsional flexibility. So that's something we're going to get deep into on the next generation. Interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got the, this, you know, the rigidity, the stiffness, however you, however you kind of describe it, there's mm-hmm. the rubber itself, but there's mm-hmm. also the tread pattern, the shape of the, the sole itself. Tell us a little bit about some of the work that you did there. Cause I think there's yeah. some interesting thoughts around like the width of the sole and various features. Right. So if you, um, if you look at the shape of the sole, right, if you take a, pick up a shoe and you have a, a visual of the outsole right in your face. Um, you can see that the shape of it is a little bit more um, rectangular shape rather than the hourglass typical cycling shoe, right? So, um, and it's something a lot of uh, other brands are finally catching on. And we're just extending that um, or reducing that hourglass shape of the shoe shape, right? Your traditional shoe sole shape. Um, so you're expanding the contact area because, again, we're finding that people obviously ride differently, right? People descent and foot positioning um, is different. So making sure that you have a larger contact surface area, right? A broader, whether from toe to heel, but also side to side. That was a big, um, that has been a big shift. Uh, and 
That's one of the changes that we worked on. The other aspect that we worked on um, was really on the fit. Uh, we One of the biggest attributes with Shimada Footwear is that we, we have a collection of data, right? 30 years worth, right? Of footwear, of foot-shaped data, right? Um, so we're able to analyze um, where the, the volume of foot shapes are, right? And, and uh, we're able to also manipulate uh, and build our last, right? This is what gives the shoe its in- internal shape, right? Um, we've been able to, to modify that and adapt to um, where the sweet zone is, right? Where, where that foot or that shoe fits the broadest range of foot shapes, right? Um, and um, I know that Adam has kind of a, a, a kind of a low volume type of foot, right? So he doesn't have a very high instep. Um, and it's very obvious when he puts on a pair of our shoes, right? His shoelaces are really snug, right? Um, but they're not sloppy, right? You got a snug feeling, a snug feel. Um, you're not, you're not getting too much fore and aft play or up and down. Uh, on the other hand, you got a guy with a, 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 a single E or a double E width, um, foot in a high instep or high arch. Um, then our shoe can accommodate that also, right? Um, so that volume, uh, uh, the ability to to to, to uh, make a last that will accommodate a broadest range of foot shapes that's really challenging and that's uh-huh. a challenge that new bike shoe brands are never going to uh, have that experience like we do right yeah uh, no, and that's, yeah so no, that, for, that, yeah. That, that that was really important because um again we're we're trying to adapt the way people are now riding bikes um and and people are riding flats for, you know, your typical trail riding. It's not just gravity specific, right? Um, you know, so um, that's what we need to kind of figure out on the next generation, right? Is, yeah. is pedal efficiency, pedaling efficiency, is that a big priority? Not really, but it is for some people. Right? So yeah. we kind of have to find this balance there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Adam, you were going to add something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just in Jesse's kind of <clears throat> first part of this, uh, you know, some of the other components of the shoe, um, a big one for me was that, <clears throat> you know, moving away from the hourglass shape a bit of kind of a classic cycling shoe or a running shoe or just, you know, any street shoe, um, in the way that, you know, as Jesse said, kind of the way that bikes, bike geometry has changed quite a bit and the way that people ride bikes has changed because of that geometry, just the lengthening of the front center, taller cockpits, riders have a lot more weight on their feet. Um, and for me, that's kind of jokingly defined in the kind of heels down eyes up ethos of, you know, you're, there's a lot more weight on the back wheel and you're placing that weight in the wheel with your feet and really with a dropped heel. So just looking at the wear patterns of the pedal pins on these various test samples, um, you know, you wear a kind of twice as fast on the rear row of pins, especially on your back foot. If you're, you know, I'm a, you know, left foot back rider. Um, so looking at, you know, where the weight really was and needing more support in that, in those rear pedal pins, which come kind of, you know, farther back on the shoe than you would think in a classic cycling shoe, look so it was really great to have that extra width for those rear pins to yeah just let you know we push the bikes into turns hard i mean the you know rear ends are short front ends are long people have cush core stiff wheels there's there's just a lot of force going through the 
through your feet and really through the back edge of the pedals. So it was great to have like almost, you know, one more pin contact point on there, or have that, you know, third pin in the rear of your shoe, not be right on the edge, like actually be, you know, within the tread. So that was something we definitely kept an eye on. Um, so yeah, heels down, eyes yeah, up. <laughs> that's a good point, Adam. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, um, the impact of, on the rider, right? Because everything is becoming stiffer, right? Um, uh, so one thing that we don't talk about and most brands don't, um, is the EVA, right? The uh-huh. EVA is that foam material between the upper and the rubber sole. Um, and fine tuning that EVA, right? Cause you don't want EVA that's super cushy, like a running shoe. Uh, but you also don't want EVA that's super rigid because then there's no value there, right? Um, so you want, and also you, the reason why EVA is there is for to cushion your strike when you're walking, right? So you, you want a comfortable shoe. So those are all um, uh, variables that we all have to kind of take in and say, okay, where do we prioritize and, and where, or where do we balance it, right? So, uh, and that's, that's, I, I, I you know, now that we now that we figured out the rubber compound, right? Um, uh, I think that's like like I said earlier, right? That's where I think we need to we need to figure out how, how do we how do we um, reduce um, and, and internally we call it uh, you know stress, rider stress, right? Yeah. Uh, is a broad term uh, for our for our R and D and and uh, engineers. Um, so reducing the stress points to ultimately improve the ride quality and the ride experience, I think that's going to be the next step for an footwear, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily the rubber compound. And also, you know, the other thing that we worked on uh, quite a bit was the tread pattern, right? So the tread pattern was, uh, you know, it went through uh, several variations. Um, I, I wish I could show you some of the crude uh, uh, Frankenstein uh, <laughs> prototypes that we first tried um just so we can do mechanical testing right on the tread pattern um you can see multiple variations of it right uh, and ultimately we ended up with this hexagonal shape um, with um, somewhat semi-deep grooves in it um, that provides essentially stability right on the on the pins um, and also durability of the rubber so, um, and that hexagonal com- uh, pattern, it's, it's what everybody seems to be um, uh, moving towards. Right? Uh, yeah. It makes the most sense. And uh, we also added some uh, some siping uh, uh, on the edge, the inside edge and the outside edge of the shoes. The engineers added that siping uh, to uh, provide um, uh, kind of... Uh, much shedding capability, right? But I'm not sure if that really actually works. But, uh, you know, it looks, it is part of the design element. Um, yeah. And, and you do need some shedding capabilities to it, you know, mud shedding or water shedding capability. To it. Um, the other thing that we also changed, and let's go back up to the upper, because that's really what you asked me about was the rest of the shoe. Um, uh, the fit was, again, a big priority for us. So really fine tuning that. Um, the biggest change that you'll see from the GR9, the previous GR9 to the current GR9, the GR901 to the 903, we skipped the generation, um, was we, we got rid of a, the flap on the upper. Yeah. Um, and that flap was 
was kind of a marquee Shimano design. We came up with that design maybe 15 years ago. So quite a long time. It was uh, kind of an iconic design for Shimano shoes. Of course, other brands have copied it, taken it their direction. Um, but we got feedback that um, those shoes tended to look like spaceman shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't quite fit with the, you know, the, 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 the mass uh, majority of, of, you know, the bike culture, which is coffee, bikes, beer, right? <laughs> you want a pair of shoes that you want to, you know, go to your coffee shop and uh, shoes that you can ride, right? Um, and then shoes that look good after you're with your beer. So um, getting rid of that flat was one, you know, one function that was really challenging for us. It, obviously, some people really liked it, uh, but most people did, at least on the gravity ship. Um, so that was a big change from a design element. The other big change too was um, we we were using a lot more high density uh, foam and less of it, um, and that's really to just reduce water absorption. Uh, we've done that with the previous generation, but we really now enhanced it with this one, um, and that was a big big deal, especially in uh, in the UK market, right? uh, because it's in the Northwest, right? Because it's wet there right yeah <laughs> most of the time um so that um uh so 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 getting rid of that high density foam uh or low density foam uh switch to high density and, and reduction of that foam for water absorption uh, that was a big shift um and then just maintaining the attributes that got shimano where they're at with the gr9 so we kept the um the you know the the armor right so the the reinforced toe box is, is always going to be there um, and the other big, uh, key attribute was the, um, the little gator that we keep, that we add. So there's a little booty gator, um, uh, just to keep the debris and a scoop full of water, right? When you're crossing that creek out. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, um, we're, we're pretty proud of that, of this design. Um, it was challenging for us to not make a technical looking shoe. Right? It's always mm -hmm. a challenge because Shimano, Shimano is such a, technical company right um, and and uh the planning people uh the product managers in japan um the r&d team and design team they're all all they're all always challenging challenged with uh delivering some sort of unique selling point right? unique selling feature and technical advancement right yeah um and that's what the management likes. <laughs> so, um, so they kind of have to, you know, they, they, they sometimes overbuild and overengineer product. And Adam can, can speak volumes of that, um, just to please, right? Um, our, our factory capabilities and or our management, right? Uh, but that's always some, you know, the writers tend to intervene, right? At the right time, at the right moment. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Okay. So, good so stuff. Yeah. Going at him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I appreciate that we like a part of the flat pedal shoe culture is just a casual shoe. And that's something I'd love about it. I can just kind of wear these shoes and I'm ready to go biking or dig some trail or be hanging out or whatever is happening. Um, that said, I do kind of miss the um, lace cover spaceman looking thing because i live in places that the weather sucks right. and it keeps things clean um but was able to relinquish that as long as we kept the gator um the little neoprene booty is really great makes it uh 
easy to easy to get the shoe on and off and does keep you know especially i'm yeah do a bunch of trail work when i'm out there and you're kicking drains and your feet are not full of organics um which is great unless you're trying to get to the garden when you get home um so yeah the upper i think the upper came out good on this like it's got enough protection it has a good just like a good solid look and feel and yeah that gator is a really great detail that um for me you know if i was just at the shoe store trying to find some good flat shoes you know performance equal um that makes a decision for me so yeah the gator tends to turn people off sometimes because they look at the shoe on the wall right and they see this funny looking you know uh sock that's coming out of the shoe right um half sock um but once you slip it on and you put it on it blends in with your black socks anyway you really can't see it yeah so i think it's something that you have to try on get a really you know if you're fashion concerned right <laughs> so um but yeah i think once you put it on it just blends in with the rest of your kit now for you guys um out there that are spd riders and do miss the flap the um the am903 does still have it so there you go <laughs> you can still get a flap you can still get a flap Good stuff. and the ME, yeah and the me me7 also has the flap too that's cool. more of an enduro ship let's talk a little bit about the prototype and the testing side of it before we do that adam give us a bit of background on why you ride flat pedals why you spend so much time on flats um yeah i mean i always while i was racing whether it was cross country or you know more recently the ews um or in the early years of the ews um i would ride flats in the winter just as kind of a you know, balance my muscle groups a bit. And I would do, you know, long training rides on the mountain bike with flats and certainly do focus skills work, whether it's, you know, riding the pump track or slalom track or, you know, dirt jumps or just mountain biking, riding rough, nasty trails. And it, it would always take me a bit to kind of settle in and really get comfortable at riding, you know, kind of race pace on rough, rugged enduro or downhill tracks. Um, and that was ages ago, you know, as shoes were developing. Um, so, you know, shoes weren't as good either, but once I'd stopped racing, I just, I was really liked the feeling of flats when I would ride them for a month or two in the winter. And I wanted to spend a season riding them to see what just kind of getting more familiar with that, you know, connection or lack of connection with the bike, depending on how you look at it. I looked at it as a connection thing, um, where I could really feel what my, suspension and tires and the trail was doing um and about six months into that season kind of once i had gone through like the wet winter into kind of the dry rough fast summer um i started to actually get comfortable and you know start to be able to keep up with the boys a little bit better when initially it was like oh i gotta (laughs) slow down or maybe pull over here um and it and i just really liked the way it felt and kind of felt that it improved my it improved my riding technique. I don't know as though it made me faster, um, which doesn't really matter because I'm not racing. <laughs> um, although the few times that I've done blind enduro races, you know, did the last uh, the last round of the Trans-Provence in 2019 and raced that on flats, um, raced down in, uh, in Mexico at the Transierra Norte and same kind of thing. Like you get like gives a different kind of comfortable feeling on the bike because you can really tell what's going on and when you can and can't push. Um, so yeah, I just, I just enjoyed it. And that's kind of my, 
yeah, been the joke is my retirement gift to myself. Um, but I don't <laughs> envision writing clips really again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Jesse, go on. Yeah, Adam, did, did the bike technology have any influence on, on that? Um, I think so. I mean, yeah, certainly it's really common now for, you know, the, as I said, the, you know, cockpits are a bit taller and rear weight bias is a bit more firm and riders just have a more stood up kind of like, you know, I jokingly say we ride more like human beings now, um, for <laughs> descending on a mountain bike rather than being kind of, you know, long stem, high seat, kind of hunched over, um, a lot of weight in the front. Now we're we're stood up, right? Like riders, you know, modern, this modern generation of riders, you can tell, especially with kids, like, you know, tons of kids ride flats now who start riding, even if they're racing. And they just have that kind of like stood back and up and, you know, kind of arms reaching, you know, arms straighter, just less weight on the front. Um, so beyond that geometry and just kind of riding style change, also just the kind of bike setup, like people are more in, both manufacturers and riders are more in tune with suspension settings. So, you know, suspension's a lot better out of the box. We don't have as much like over damped on compression bikes and you really can like that keeps your feet on the pedals. And it was really helpful for me in doing, you know, OEM suspension tuning and testing riding flats would kind of let me know when we had a good or a bad setup, whether or not my feet were staying on the pedals. So, um, and then tires as well, rider, you know, people who are, you know, even a, you know, descent oriented, but otherwise, you know, a person who just considers himself a standard mountain biker, but really is in it for the descent, um, maybe isn't riding with an uplift, but, um, are riding heavier tires and inserts and that. So that also kind of makes, gives you the grip and kind of poise in your bike to be able to, you know, appreciate the nuance of a flat pedal without like needing to be hooked to your bike because the thing is just ragging down a mountainside and you're just kind of hanging on. So, um, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of, a lot of technology that's I think supported this rise and culture, you know, just the fact that mountain biking is yeah. certainly removed entirely from, from road cycling now after, you know, a few decades of bike geometry, you know, ultimately starting at road bikes and then working towards acknowledging what it actually is, which is, almost as awesome as skiing now, you know, you're have a ton of control in a gravity environment. So, um, yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. J Jesse, tell us a little bit then about the prototyping process and how that starts to feed to Adam. So you yeah. mentioned that you started off with some yeah. pretty rough kind of sole prototypes to, to look at some mechanical testing, but how does right. that progress? And then at what point do you start getting riders like Adam involved? Yeah. So, yeah, like I said earlier too, um, it, it starts really with benchmarking, right? So we set benchmarks, we test competitors, right? We test, um, and we, we, we set targets, right? We, this is where we want to go, right? Uh, or whatever specific, uh, attribute we're after. Um, and then we, um, we, we, we're, we're taking advantage of a lot of 3D printing now, especially on, on the sole patterns. Um, and from there we, um, we have, we build outsole prototypes. Then we start making some rubber compounds. Um, and it's into the testing lab, mechanical testing. Mechanical testing is, um, one of Shimano's strongest points, right? We have, uh, proprietary, uh, processes. With very specific cycles, right? Depending on the product, uh, 
uh, very different and complicated um, ways of applying force, right? Whether it's uh, you know, dynamic force, right? Um, because because cycling is dynamic, right? It's a dynamic motion. You can't just have a direct. Uh, anyways, we 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 figured out our test, testing protocols. So we get the mechanical results. Once the mechanical results uh, are compared, then uh, we make a decision in the direction that we're going to commit as far as the rubber sole pattern. Uh -huh. Because once you commit to the rubber sole pattern, you have to make a mold. And a mold for one specific shoe, one size, <laughs> um, it's a pretty substantial investment. Yeah. I'm not going to share how much it is, but it's in the thousands, right? Mm -hmm. So we um, very fortunate, um, and we choose our um, our test riders wisely. Um, Adam happens to be a size forty three, uh -huh. which happens to be um, our preferred sample size. Um, I'm of size forty three. Uh, I push for that <laughs> myself um, because I have to test every style of shoe, uh, um, and um, yeah, we we build a prototype. Um, we send um, the prototypes out to our test riders, um, and um, we start getting feedback. Right? We um, were obsessive about um, wear patterns, stress points, stress risers. Um, you know, all the things that are basically driven as a requirement and demand from our quality control people. Uh -huh. Things to avoid. Right? Um, based on our right. 30 plus years of making shoes. Right? We know how shoes break down. Right? Um, now, what we are learning, as I said earlier in the program too, is we're constantly learning on the way people ride bikes, the new ways of play, which are mainly driven by the bicycle technologies. Right? Uh, so, um, and that's why we've chosen people like Adam, right? To kind of say and validate Hey, this 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 pattern's no good for this reason, or um, this rubber compound. It's you know it's shot within after two hour ride, right? Uh, or this one's a great balance, you know. Um, and yeah, it's just the kind of back and forth, right, through prototyping. Um, yeah. So, Adam, how long ago did shoes start arriving with you then? Oh, geez, this was this yeah, a while this ago, was two years ago. Yeah. Um, that we had, <laughs> yeah, just some, yeah. you know, previous right. generation shoes show up, yeah. you know, with essentially mm -hmm. with a hot patch, right? Like with the, mm -hmm. with the yeah. <clears throat> pedal pocket cut out and then a variety of compounds inserted, um, just for, you know, initial, initial ride and field testing to see. And then we are actually <clears throat> also testing quite a few different tread patterns, um, tread depth, everything. So those were, you know, easy enough to get these samples and then, you know, just put them on a shoe that was a known quantity and go from there. So yeah, it was a good, a good long process. And then eventually we did quite a bit of that. We spent almost a season there, um, and then moved into that sample size to start and, you know, connect the whole thing together with the, with the EVA and the midsole. So, yeah. yeah. So how, how many, do you have a rough feel for how many different shoes you went through with that hot, in the hot patch phase where you just got a different sole patch cut into an old shoe? Um, yeah, I was just looking back through my notes. So we had an initial round of 
three of those. And then we had another round of two kind of once we started to get a little bit closer. Um, and then that kind of got us to the soul area and then the molds were open and then we continued with compounding in those molds. And I think we had another four or five samples of those. Um, so yeah, there were, there were a bunch of versions of this and a lot, they yeah. were, some were pretty unique or a broad spectrum of performance, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. And what's your, your personal kind of process for going out and testing a shoe then? How do you approach it? Um, I mean, they have to break in, right. And even, you know, with the, you know, everyone's got their favorite shoe and it performs quite differently after you've got, you know, a week or two of riding on it. So I would certainly just, and you can accelerate that a bit by just kind of wearing them around the house and whatnot, that at least, you know, begins to soften the rubber and kind of open up the pores. Um, but yeah, it would just take some, you know, I wouldn't really have any input until I'd have about 10 hours on the shoe, even though you could observe like, Oh, this is wearing super fast or, Oh, this isn't wearing at all. Um, and start to draw some conclusions there but you know it would it would take at least 10 hours and then ideally another 20 hours beyond that to really get an idea of where the performance was really going to be you know um and often shoes continue to get or yeah good good shoes get better and better over the first 100 hours of use and that's the key where you know the durability of the rest of the package starts to really become key it's like you know i certainly have shoes from other brands that the soles are performing great, but the rest of the shoes kind of falling apart. So, uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of balance there. So it, there's a lot of time in it, but fortunately that's all time that we get to spend riding. The other, Go variable, on, yeah, the other variable that, um, we tend to forget, um, but is also key is temperature. Okay. So, yeah. uh, especially in these rubber compounds back where you want something that's going to be a little softer, right? But, yeah, you get down in the 40s, 30 degree, right? That rubber is going to change, right? So uh, definitely a different feel than when it's 70 or 80 degrees, uh, right? So yeah. just, just keep that in mind for, you cold, yeah. for our cold weather friends, right? <laughs> if you take yeah, these home was and you're certainly... like... <laughs> Right, Adam? <laughs> yeah, that so, was a part of my process is I would essentially, yeah. you know, depending on what the time of year was and where I was, I mean, working on this stuff year round, right? To try and at least get to somewhere warm for a bit. Like once we started to get closer on, okay, these are, if it was winter, you know, this is what's working and get somewhere that at least was, you know, 60 degrees outside. So you could start to see what the, you know, consistent form performance was. But being insistent with the, you know, product team that the engineering team that like hey lots of people ride in cold weather a lot like half of your riding season is in cold weather essentially so and those are you know there's a higher density of flat pedal use in those environments you know that i've observed at least um whether that's part of the culture or whatever the story is um so Yes, wet weather equals flat pedals, I think, and wet weather's mm -hmm. generally a bit colder, right? I guess there's some kind of trend there, but yeah. yeah well, so what might what might your feedback look like? What kind of stuff are you feeding back on? How do you deliver it? How does that relationship work? Um, we have just kind of a you know a, a monthly reporting cycle, um, which gives time to you know get going on a project and get some understanding of it. A lot of photos, videos just to be able to communicate what's happening with, you know, 
like a, a video of just your foot adjusting its position on the pedal is helpful for, you know, the engineering and design team to see and really understand what you're talking about. So definitely a lot of that going back and forth. Um, and then phone communication, especially with Jesse, um, to, you know, just discuss a bit more nuanced what's happening. Um, and then email to like, you know, just follow up from those reports if anyone has specific questions. So yeah, definitely. Um, and some drawings. Um, we definitely use sketching quite a bit just to, you know, try and describe a, you know, in this case, a pattern or a shape or, you know, where the, where the pedal pins are really going and yeah, just try and help, help everyone understand. Yeah. And is it, so are you testing across multiple different pedals? Do you have like a control pedal that you like to use? Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, I was, um, and this fortunately was kind of just previous to when we really got into some, some prototype pedal testing. Um, so I was just using the, the current state flat pedal. So the M820. Is that what that is? Yeah, right. A28. Um, which I love. Um, those are great pedals with, you know, a good shape and they have kind of the classic threaded pin that definitely also accelerates wear a bit. So it's a good kind of wear accelerator. Whereas some of the, you know, folks are moving to pins that are, um, smooth sided. They don't tear quite as badly into the shoe. So, and I just like those pedals. They have a nice shape and a good pin layout and they're, they're a good solid pedal. They last forever. (laughs) Yeah. And are you, are you testing, will you always test a consistent pairing across both feet or will you mix up things to try and look at maybe some of the more subtle nuanced differences between two prototypes? Yeah, I was absolutely doing, uh, doing left foot, a right foot, C, whatever it would be and alternating. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. I see. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I definitely would mix, um, mix and match and that was a really good way to get a feel of you know different compounds and even different you know different vintage of shoes or different models um competitors product with ours so yeah that's a that's a great way to do it yeah and were there things that surprised you along the way i mean you're obviously an experienced rider but not everything always kind of performs the way you expect it to right yeah, definitely. Um, with the some of the pattern testing that we did early on with those uh, hot patch samples, you know, you kind of see one thing and expect to like it, and then like something else. So we actually did some pretty solid soles, um, and I had ridden some solid soled shoes <clears throat> from competitor in the past, and liked the way that that you know enabled you to move around initially, but then didn't really end up appreciating that as much when compared to you know some various um actual you know treaded <clears throat> textured soles so that was a uh, yeah something that i wanted to try and i was like okay i can understand why the market didn't go that way jesse how do you then balance all of the feedback you're getting i guess because like you've we've said throughout every rider's different kind of biomechanically from a fashion perspective, from how they ride, from how they position on the bike. So it's great having feedback from Adam, but it's not necessarily always the right answer, I guess, in inverted commas, like it's an answer. It's an educated answer, but there's other people with different views. How do you bring all that together and decide what actually makes it into the final product? Or was everyone quite aligned? Well, it's, it's, it's some of, some of it is that a lot of it is we just have 
experience. <laughs> so we know what mistakes not to make. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times we 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 know that if we make this change or if we make this tweak, um, we know what the effect's going to be uh, based on past experiences. Uh, and I think that's what keeps things moving forward. So there's a lot of stuff that um, that goes in the background in between the the development of the next prototype. Um, so um, and again, it's a lot of it is proprietary processes right, that we we just nailed down. That's been handed down through generations, um, and a lot of it is just the, the experience that we have within our R and D team and our own capabilities. Right? The, the beauty of this. Um, the, the beauty of Shimano in general is the fact that um, we we have such control tolerances along the development process and ultimately uh, the manufacturing process because we own the factories. Yeah. So we know what our capabilities are and we know what our capabilities are not. So we choose not to go that way. Right. We, yeah. we choose to figure out what is it. What is our strength? What are our resources? And how we, can we optimize those resources right? to develop the right product? Right? Um, I'll give you another, a good example, right? Um, carbon crank ox. We've made a carbon crank set right? a long, long time ago, uh, but it also cost a thousand dollars, which was in today's price, it would be two $2,500, right? So yeah, it's not that we don't have the capabilities. It's just not our core competency. Yeah. We can make an aluminum crank set much more efficient, much more effective, um, and much more uh, cost-effective. Right? So yeah, yeah. So th- those are things, and um, so so and also the other thing that keeps pushing us forward is we have these timetables, right, um, that we have to meet uh, in regards to going to market, right? So um, we, 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 we have many go or no go meetings <laughs> and decisions to make. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, some of those, some of those I'm not privy to because they're, a lot of them are factory related, right? Um, again, regarding our capabilities, right? No. Hey, if Adam's saying this, this means that we need to change this component or compound or, right? And what does that do to our cost? What is that? Can our factory do it? Right. So those are discussions that happen internally. Sometimes complicated. Most of the times not. Right. Yeah. They're just, okay. Nope. We're going to go this way. Uh, so, um, and the biggest word we dislike here and we constantly, um, uh, shoot it down. We don't shoot people, but we shoot <laughs> the idea down, um, is compromise. Uh-huh. Compromise is a big, big bad word here. Right? So, um, and what I mean by compromise is, uh, right, we, we don't just push things forward because we need to meet a schedule. Right? We don't push things forward because, um, we're committed to it already, right? Or so on and so on. Right? So, um, those are big, sometimes difficult decisions, right? To stop products, um, or to change direction, but, uh, I'd rather do that than compromise the product okay? and ultimately yeah. the experience. Okay? So, uh-huh. Again, those are things that you learn 
just from experience because everybody's made mistakes, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, I'm, you know, it's there's no such thing as a perfect product, but there is a thing as a near perfect product, <laughs> and that's what we're trying to achieve all the time. And uh, that's that's really challenging. That's that's a, from a product development side, and you know, when you start with the concept to an actual product, man. That's why it takes us two years. Like, yeah. I mean, it literally takes us minimum two years to bring a product to market. Yeah. Was, was was there a kind of a breakthrough on this project? Was there a shoe, Adam, that when it arrived, you were like, okay, we're on the money here now? Like, Or was it really gradual progress to, to the final product? Um, <clears throat> in those initial samples that were – homemade um we definitely got to a pretty good place but it was seeing that in the actual sample shoe the and it wasn't the first one of those um once we had the you know that the extra width of the sole kind of the squaring of the sole helped a lot Mm -hmm. um kind of more than i expected it to just with balance on the pedal and on the bike uh ultimately um so it was our yeah fourth version of those that really became like, okay, we're, we're getting there with, with grip and performance. And I'm, I mean, I was very, very insistent on performance because there are such high performing shoes in this market that have ultimately enabled the market to be created or expand in the way that it has. Um, so yeah, it was toward the end of the process and that's why the process takes the time that it does. Um, yeah, it was our, our final versions and then actually getting the first, production samples from Jesse and getting those broken in and seeing that the performance was there and that I could, yeah, take that shoe with me when I was riding. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It must be a good feeling. How, what's the feedback been like from, uh, from customers, from media? Cause the shoes are out in the wild now. Yeah. They're, they're just, um, if you can believe it, they're just hitting the market. Um, we promised these shoes back in October of last year, September, uh-huh. October. Um, but you know, obviously, with the delays and uh, freight freight delays, really yeah. are having the biggest issues. Um, uh, not so much factory delays. Uh, they're just starting to hit. Um, there are some of the reviews, but most of the reviews are um, just specifications. Okay. Um, I'm really more. Uh, uh, I'm I'm really waiting more for uh, 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 you know, usage reviews, right? Uh, Long term yeah. usage, right? Um, and I think that's when we'll start to hear some very positive, uh, feedback. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I know that all the test writers I've been sending them out to besides Adam, uh, are loving them, right? They, they, uh, it's very clear that the rubber compound is special, right? Um, and, uh, it's, it's definitely in the competitive landscape, right? So let's just say we're in the pack. Good to hear. <laughs> so, Excellent. Um, and uh, I'm 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 pretty happy about that. Right? And, yeah. uh, and and uh, uh, we're already working on the next generation. So. Of course, it never uh, stops, right? It never right, stops, right? So, awesome. um, but you know, now that we have the tread pattern, the rubber compound dialed, the next is the next step is on the upper. Yeah. Um, Interesting and, stuff. And the biggest challenge there on the upper is just the, the style, really. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. The, 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 what, what is going to be an appealing from a consumer's point of view, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, 
fit, of course, is priority on the shoe, but style, it's, it's a big deal. So yeah, for sure. We're, we Stuff. really need to find that balance between, uh, normal looking shoes and spaceman shoes <laughs> <laughs> you'll find it i'm sure you'll find it well if people if people uh want to have a look at the shoe and check them out where is the best place for them to be to be looking um you know our ibds uh, so that's the independent bike shops right um they're the best place for you to go out and uh, try a pair of shoes we have many online partners right um, i'm based here in north america so um I know that we have um, Backcountry is a big partner. I know they are starting to sell some. Or they have them on available now. Yeah, um, Backcountry competitive cyclists. Um, they're, they're they're one of our biggest online uh, uh, sellers. Or okay. Shimano Cycle. Um, the local independent bike shop is also a great resource. Um, you know, flat pedal, especially this high end technical um, flat flat pedal shoe. Um, right, that's you're gonna most likely find it at this specialist, right? The gravity, yeah. um, you know, trail mountain bike shops. For sure. And if people want to see some images and find out a bit more of the shoes, they're on mtb.shimano.com, I think. Right. There are, yeah. Just go to shimano.com and then you can just maneuver your way out yeah. because um, awesome. we have regional, regionally based um, uh, websites. So Yeah. I'll put, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for the episode so people can find that nice and easily, but yeah, thanks to both of you for taking some time out of your days. It's been really interesting to chat and find out more. I've been uh, been enjoying riding the shoe myself over the last few weeks. So uh, yeah, I like I like what you've done. I think you've uh, created oh, yeah. something really good I, there. I should have uh, I should have mentioned your comment. So yeah, you seem pretty stuck when you um, when when we finally figured out the sizing, right? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super comfy and mm-hmm. uh, a good level of grip. And I rode for three hours in the rain the other day. And they didn't get too wet, which yeah. is perfect for when you live in the UK. So as right. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> Adam is well aware from living somewhere a bit wet, it's uh, it's useful that they don't take on a load of water. Right. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, I'll let you get on, chaps. But yeah, thanks so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing these shoes out in the wild and, and even more flat pedal shoes coming from you guys in the in the future years. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for both your time and insight, and we'll uh, we'll see you out there in the rain. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Jesse and Adam. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Big thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. As a downtime listener, you can get fifteen percent off all of their awesome rim only products for the month of March. All you need to do is to use the code We Are Rims twenty twenty two. That's We Are Rims, all one word, all lowercase, followed by the number twenty twenty two at the checkout over on WeAreOneComposites.com. Also, a big thank you to Shimano. I've been super impressed with their new gravity focused flat pedal shoe, the GR nine, which features their brand new gravity optimized old tread sole. They're super comfy, grippy, and have loads of nice design features. The GR9 is available now from your local Shimano dealer, or you can check them out over at mtb.shimano.com. If you like print and you want a quality mountain bike print product in your life, then the brand new biannual downtime EP is for you. It's a collab with the awesome team over at Misspent Summers, so if you've ever read Hurley Burley, The World Stage, Spent or Meltdown, you'll know just how good downtime EP is going to be. You can head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now and either grab yourself a copy of issue one or you can subscribe where you'll get issue one sent out right away and issue two as soon as it's ready. Also, my full range of merch is ready to go over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, shorts and joggers and all proceeds go to help improve the podcast. 
All the links you need are in the show notes for the episode on downtimepodcast.com. I'll keep this short and sweet, but what I will say is that if your riding mates aren't listening to the podcast yet, please let them know what they're missing out on. Spreading the word like that is a massive help to me, as it's ultimately you lot listening that enables me to keep this thing going. All right, we're going to have another awesome episode real soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 